Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back. This is Thomas Freeme, and you are listening to the Thomas Freeme TV and podcast show. How is everybody doing? I know my shows have been coming through sporadic. As explained earlier, I got a lot going on, a lot to talk about. These shows that I'm getting out now are shows that I've recorded previously in the in the past several weeks that people are anxiously waiting to get out. And I'm trying to put these shows out in order of importance. Today's show and discussion is a very important one because the state of Florida is trying to eradicate visitations out of the prison population. They're trying to do away with them. Today's discussion is with Miss Angie Hatfield of Society First. So once again, thank you, Society First, for the things that you do, first and foremost, a nonprofit organization which you can view all the things that they do by going to www.societyfirst.com and see all the things that they've accomplished already. Great, great organization, great people. And Miss Angie Hatfield is one of these people that had come with a discussion about what is going on in the Florida prisons. We're going to be going over some of the legislation that's being introduced dealing with these circumstances about removing visitation from prisons. One of the issues with visitation is it has always been a privilege, not a right. Again, this stems going all the way back into the 13th Amendment where prisoners are less than men. They're less than. We're treated to be less than. Slavery, if that's what you want to call it. However, but it is what it is. And we are treated subhuman in prison. Whether the public wants to agree with that, believe in it, or think that it's justified because of the crimes. And in some cases, that may be true. Right? Like some of these people do need to be treated subhuman. I know. I've met them. There's reasons for these actions, and and that's always to explore. But... There are many, many people who are in prison innocent or they've been wrongly convicted. They've been overcharged, which then you, you're you put into a, a hostile environment because of your erroneous charges. You're, you're classified as, as a whole different type of inmate and thrown into a whole different type of environment, which leads into different consequences. Some people go to prison for five years and end up with life sentences because of having just to survive in this environment that they should have never been in to begin with, as in most cases with uh, addiction, drugs, that type of environment, that type of lifestyle. A lot of these charges result in violent charges and it ups your classification. But getting into more of the visitation aspect of it, You know, the question is, is how important is visitation to these inmates? Is visitation expendable? Should it be a right? When we look into what the model of the system portrays itself to be, it's creed, right, about keeping family close, keeping it family-oriented for re-entry purposes and rehabilitative purposes. When we look at that and then we question, is there actions following that? We have to make a determination, either yes or no. And when they start removing visitation, when they start forcing families and inmates to communicate via electronically, and you lose all sense of human interaction, 
Is that for rehabilitative purposes? Is that keeping the family close, a close bond? I would personally have to say no, which kind of leads into a lot of the issues that I have going on with myself today in, in public society. And as you'll hear in this interview coming up, how I actually felt personally about visitation. I didn't get much visits. So visits for me, although beautiful, were very laborious for me because of the depression. It would put me in for weeks. You know, it would it would put me in a, in a very somber state. And then it, it would take a couple weeks to recover from that, getting back into my regime, my 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 daily programming. So as much as I love to see, especially my daughter, I, you know, because that was my strength, you know, that pulled me through these things was was, again, hope. Hope is what gets us up each day and keeps us moving forward. So she was my hope. And and still, of course, is. But at that time, that is that was my lifeline that I was pulling myself through this muck with. And yes, I, I needed to see my daughter. And after months would go by because I was in the federal system and the federal system moves you, you know, anywhere in the country that they, they please. I was located several states away. So my my visitation with my daughter was only when my parents could suffice enough energy and money to, to bring her to where I was at. So, it, it you know, those those visitations were limited and and. I would go as long as I possibly could until I just had to see my daughter. I had to make sure she was okay. And I did want my memory in her mind. You know, I didn't want her to forget about me per se. So you're talking four or five, six months usually in between visits. And yeah, I would force myself to go to those visits and just deal with whatever, you know, came afterwards. The hardest thing of my life was to end the visitation in itself, to watch my people walk out that door and say goodbye. Me knowing I was going back to where I was going was was very, very, it's very hard having to, to walk away from your child time and time again. But those visits were very important to me. They were important to my survival, to my rehabilitation, to to where I'm at today. The person who I am today with my nonprofit, with my podcast, being able to open openly express some very personal things about my life, the confidence that I have in myself to do so and, and leave it for public opinion. That's a lot of that stems from visitations in prison. So if we want our returning citizens to come home, be successful get back into the community, give back to their community and understand how they've hurt their community to begin with, then we have to embrace these people in some kind of way. We just cannot keep them locked away in a cellar, feed them scraps, not give them any human contact and leave them to the will of a damn near psychotic system, a sadistic system, and then expect them to come home and feel cared about. And want to better their lives and all the atrocities of how we treat returning citizens coming home now. Like their battle isn't over just coming out of that place. My battle's not over. 
because on a personal level, I got to sit here and continuously battle these people every day, constantly being told no, constantly being told I'm out of my mind, constantly being told I can't accomplish this. I am only here because of the few people who believe in me, listen to my words and understand what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. And even though I may not be, you know, as articulate as some of these scholars with these these pieces of paper behind them, I know what the hell I'm talking about. And it may take me a minute to explain it, but it will come out. So with that being said to my supporters, all my lovely fans, for those who have subscribed to me, all my other listeners and supporters from all around the world. You know, I'm growing all over the world. And to that, I would like to say thank you because that helps me continue to grow. I need more. I'm moving into an office, need more support. I need backing. I need sponsors. I need furniture for this office. If you are interested in knowing what my office looks like, you can go to Facebook on my page. I have a video posted there. My TikTok as well. I show the office, but continued support is much needed. And you can do that by going to www.cominghomecoalition.com, hitting the subscribe button, becoming a member. That way that number keeps growing, my membership keeps growing, my subscriptions keep growing, and that is power in numbers. If you are able to donate monthly, I encourage you to do that as well because that is where the support comes in. Even if it's a dollar a month, anything counts. So... All of that goes to keeping this office space up and running, keep it growing, having programs brought to this office space here in the Tampa Bay area. If you have if you have material donations to contribute towards our our fundraiser, our very first fundraiser that we're going to be putting out, such as travel size soap, deodorant, anything that you think that a homeless person would be able to use, I ask that you also go to our Coming Home Coalition page under my profile on Facebook. The donation address is there to sent, start sending these items to. Little shampoos, little soaps, uh, maybe some cheap shower shoes. We're asking for Narcan for the homeless to walk around with so that they can save lives as they approach them of anybody that's overdosing. Uh, boxers, oh, for the ladies, you know, tampons, pads, things of that nature. Um, little soaps, just things that a homeless person can carry around with them and use, Sh little razors, anything, you know, anything that helps. And we're going to have a fundraiser out in a park here in the Tampa Bay area. We're going to create these care packages and we're just going to hand them out to the locals there in that area and see how that works out. And hopefully it spawns into something where we just go city, city to city. So without further ado, Miss Angie. Hatfield, Society First, and here is the discussion on why visitations are of the utmost importance to prisoners and the families and the communities. You can't handle the truth! Hello. Hey, Ms. Angie, how are you? Uh, they're trying to take our visits. Our prison visits. Okay. How's visitation? What they're doing, actually, essentially, and there's and there's multiple aspects to it. But essentially, what they're doing is uh, 
They're trying to reduce visits to basically 50%. I don't know if you recall back in 2018 when they did this same thing. Do you happen to remember? No, I don't remember that. Okay. Well, back in 2018, they tried to do the same thing. There's a few changes now as opposed to then. Um, but uh, they want to reduce prison visits to every other weekend basically by the, the you know, your incarcerated loved one's last name. Um, but what they're doing as well is they are leaving the door open to stop the visitation period at a particular prison for multiple reasons, one of which being um, a staffing issue. Now, they've had a quote-unquote staffing issue for years and years and years. Every year they go up, budget requests, they ask for more money for more staffing. There's always a staffing issue. They close down pretty much what all the work, not all the work camps, but many of the work camps last year because of staffing issues. Um, they closed down a lot of reentry centers, et cetera, et cetera, work release because of staffing issues. So basically by leaving the door open for the staffing issues, um, that leaves the door open to completely cancel visitation. And since you're previously incarcerated, let me ask you, what do visits mean to you? You know, that's, that's a tough question. You know, it, it um, there was, there was, it's, it, you know, they mean everything. And, and, and sometimes I didn't even want to go to visit because for me, I would rather the pain of saying goodbye and seeing my family, it would, it would put me in a depression for weeks to recover from that and get back into some sort of normal uh, routine. You know, the visits, the visits mess us up, you know. So you didn't get them like every single week or anything? You didn't get them like super regular? No, no, I didn't get regular visits. And, and uh, as somebody who was getting regular visits, I guess, would, would have a different perception because, yeah. because they, they, um, you know, that's, that's their lifeline. You know, they, they look forward to that. And that's why I say, I mean, but when visits were coming, like this was like, we would press our clothes. You know, we have our, we have our own visitation uniforms, you know, that, that we would only wear for visitation. We'd have our boots polished up. You know what I mean? Like we tried to make ourselves as presentable as we could, you know, so that when our families come, they wouldn't see us like we were doing bad. You know, we would, we would go out there and we would, we would just try to cheer our family up just as much because we're all going through this. It's painful on everybody. You know, it's part of your answer. Actually, part of your answer, because you didn't get regular visits. So it was, I'm not going to say a burden. I don't know what the correct wording would be for it, but like, you know, it was rough on you because you didn't get regular visits. So it wasn't part of your, because I know when you're incarcerated, you kind of have this, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, you have this schedule. And it wasn't part of your schedule, so it made it harder. So think about people that this is part of their schedule. Well, that well, that's what I mean. That's that's yeah. that's their lifeline. That's, yeah. you know, this is this is what they, they look forward to every day. They're they're part of, because it's not only the the inmate, it's the family as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because this is a routine for them as well. And if if nine times out of ten there's going to be children involved in that, so the children are seeing, you know, their their loved one 
mother, father each week. So that is a whole different perspective. Me, I was in the federal system, you know, and that was that was a lot of the issue because I was in a completely different state. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they had me 15, 16, 18 hours away from home, you know. Now, it, didn't they change that to where they have to have you within, I think, what, 500 miles? Or? Well, that's, I guess, what we can get into in that discussion is, is yes, it's always been a rule in the BOP that you are to be within 500 miles of your family, especially if you have a supportive family, they try to keep the inmate within those 500 miles. That's what it says in the, in the book. They don't adhere to that at all. And just like you had mentioned, you know, about staffing issues, there's always reasons why. For me, I had so many co-defendants that testified against me. And of course, they got the pick of the litter. So they were at Coleman. They were at Miami. They were, you know, Jessup. This is why I landed so far away from home. You know, so that was one of the reasons. And then and then I started getting into disciplinary. So that was one of the reasons. And, you know, eventually we ended up having to get Senator Bill Nelson involved in it. And, and much kudos to, to Bill Nelson. He got me out of Beaumont, Texas and got me back to, to Florida. That's good. That's good. And you know what? It seems like that's that, you know, you always have to get uh, some sort of politician for BOP, obviously a uh, federal politician for the state level prisons, which is mostly what I deal with, would be a, a state level politician. Uh, it seems like that's what you have to do because <clears throat> from my experience with the Florida Department of Corrections, um, sometimes they believe that there is no one above them. And sometimes it's smart to remind them that there are people above them. And they have to obey the law, just like I do, just like you do, and everybody else. So... Um, Well, the biggest the biggest thing that we have to understand, though, is that visitation is a privilege. It is. They have it as a privilege and they can and they can do whatever that they want with that. So how are we to get around the fact that visitation is a privilege? Well, here's the thing. It is not considered a right in any state or federally. I will tell you this. I personally um, I personally wrote up a big legal bunch of yada yada yesterday and I sent it to the FDC general counselor general counsel agency clerk as you're supposed to do requesting a formal administrative hearing in front of the administrative judge with the department of administrative hearings Um, because there is a get around actually I found a get around Um, there's something called liberty interest um, there's a previous court case, Kentucky v. Thompson, uh, for, I think it's 1991 or something, but the Thompson test is used in any uh, case that has to do with visitation of privileges, quote-unquote, anywhere in the states, all right? And basically, if there's certain language in statute and there's certain languages in the in the administrative rules, which for us is the 30 chapter 33 rules, mm-hmm. then... Um, that can it, those those particular pieces of language can pass that Thompson test. Then you have what's called a liberty interest, and a liberty interest is protected under the Fourteenth Amendment due process clause, and that is the closest thing that we can come to a uh, right to visitation or liberty interest. And that just means that they can't just yank it from you without um, you know due process. You know, without 
being able to say your side of it, yada, yada, yada. Because some of these rules, um, some of the rule changes have to do with uh, uh, suspending uh, visitation privileges. Right. And there's no question, there's no nothing, no nothing. Uh, one in particular, let me pull this up. Because um, this actually, when I filed that yesterday, which I haven't heard back, but I already do have um, an account with the DOAH in preparation for this. But there were only certain rule changes that I could find some sort of a legal argument to substantiate this. And this was one of them. And I want to quote the exact ones. Let me roll this under the 731. 601731. All right, under 33-601.731, number two, suspension of a visitor's visitation privileges. There are multiple reasons for suspension. I'm looking particularly at uh, 2A number seven. If you are found to be an actual or constructive possession of, or is a found passing or attempting to pass a cell phone, basically, or anything of that ilk, which is an incorrect use of the statute that covers that. Statute covers having it basically in the secure room, and this doesn't. Another one under the same one is B, number four. They can... My privileges, my visitation privileges will be suspended by the warden or designate when the visitor is found to have an unauthorized communication with an inmate on a cellular phone or other portable communication device. Which, um, meaning if I answer a phone call and I don't you know, know that number, I don't have it plugged in or what have, have you, and let's say it has, has my cousin is on the other line and he's currently in whatever prison in the state of Florida, and, you know, I'm like, what, who, what, what? Just that the fact that I answered it, I was like, who is this? What's going on? What's going on? I could have my visitation and privileges suspended with, I don't know, with my husband or my wife or whoever, because somebody called me from prison, and let's say they they got caught with that cell phone and they were able to go through and see these calls that were made. They could suspend my visitation. So that's kind of an issue. The other, every other weekend thing is a major issue. Like I said, they are leaving it open for the modified visitation. And here's the, here's the killer. Except for holidays. Apparently holidays will have enough staff so that everybody can come visit. But um, they have various factors um, to decide whether or not uh, modified visit, visitation, which is the every other weekend thing, would be designated to a particular institution. One of those factors is uh, taking into consideration in the previous six months, um, whether it's, okay, is staffing levels, which I already covered. If there's enough staffing levels are sufficient in the previous six months. Uh, Now, each of these are supposed to carry equal weight. Uh, The number of times in the previous six months that the number of visitors reached or exceeded 75% occupancy of the institution's uh, maximum capacity. At 75%, not 100%. Um, now, understand, we ever since COVID, um, in order to visit, you have to go, the, like the Monday morning before that weekend's visit, you go online and you register to visit. And then 
during the week sometime, and some institutions are faster than others. They should give you an answer within a few days for traveling purposes and such. Some of them have not done that, but they approve or disapprove of your visit. So they have that capability of saying, okay, well, we've reached 100% capacity. So we cannot no longer approve, but they continue to approve. And then, the, and then they're over capacity, which kind of makes no sense. Do you agree? Yeah, well, I definitely agree with that. That 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 don't make any sense. And as far as the the COVID, are they still making the inmates get vaccinated to go to visit? No, they never did. They, you can't force vaccination. Well, no, they were definitely doing it in some states. They, they were, were. Yeah, they might have tried. They never forced them at all. I think that there was a threat. There was a rumor. There were a lot of rumors, but they couldn't make anybody get vaccinated that they didn't want to. And so. You know, nobody, what, what, it, it, I mean, when was that? I can't remember. At first, when they first opened visitation, it was only to, like, very immediate family. You had this plastic between you. Yeah. And then finally they would let you have one hug. And then finally they took the plastic, you know, and, and, and you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And it's pretty much back to normal, although they still, see, in the rules it says, that you can hold hands, but not in each other's laps. But if you try to sit beside each other, they come at you. Um, now, according to that rule, you see, implies that you can sit next to each other. Because how could you put your hand in somebody's lap from across the table? I don't know about you. I mean, I don't know how tall you are. Yeah. I don't know if you got stretchy Armstrong arms or what's going on. But you cannot put your hand in somebody's lap when you're sitting across the table from them. So that's just one example of how uh, multiple institutions, they just like to, they try to make their own rules, although they cannot. They all have to abide by the chapter 33 rules. That's statutory. So, um, anyhow, and then one of the other factors is the number of visitation cancellations during the previous six months. Although I'm not sure, it doesn't really say whether those were like institution canceled if it was scheduled by somebody and then they didn't show up it doesn't really it's very vague another one is the number of reported uh, disturbances and disrupt or disruptions altercations yada yada in the past six months as well as the number of reported incidents contraband introduction by visitors um and then the last one is just any other reported safety incidences, which those last three right there are basically saying if, if one person in that VP in that park does something wrong, then that causes everybody has to pay for that. That's like a vicarious liability. That's not okay. And um, I think that's an overreach of their legislative, de delegated legislative so, Have these changes already been made? I mean, No. These changes are in proposal status right now. They, what they have to do, because they have to follow um, the rules, of the administrative rules. They're the Chapter 120s. You can look it up. Like, you just put in Google, uh, Florida Statute 120, and it'll pull up the whole chapter. And that covers all state administrative agencies, period, as far as their rule changes. So they have to follow that. Um, and so... On July 6th of this year is when they um, they announced it in the Florida Administrative Register. And so that, here's the thing with the rules. You have to be 
a substantially affected person. Now, this is pretty much the only rules that they have where I am a substantially affected person. Any other rule, the substantially affected person is somebody that's incarcerated. So they can argue, somebody can write against it that's incarcerated, but according to statute, they can't, they can't actually be part of the hearings. So, you know, the only, the only people that are substantially affected cannot continue through the process to challenge these rules and regulations. Um, they could if they have a lawyer or authorized representative. Authorized representative would be somebody that qualifies, is familiar with the statutes, the laws, the rules, um, administrative code, civil procedures, yada, yada, yada. So what can we the people do? So we the people, what, what's going to happen next, and I don't have a date for you, but what's going to happen next, because already uh, people substantially affected have sent in a request for um, uh, for a workshop, which is still, we've heard nothing back, so it's probably going to get turned down. It always is. So then we have a public hearing, and people can attend that public hearing. Usually it's on Zoom, but I will tell you this time, because this is a repeat rule change that failed previously, just be, it didn't really fail, fail. They just let the time run out because there are different time steps, stamps. Um, so this time I know that if there's going to be a public hearing, everybody's going to Tallahassee. And so we need even more people, even people that aren't part of it. Even, but here's the thing. This is, a, this is a public problem. This is a public safety issue because sometimes it is a, it is the choice between a criminal and a returning citizen coming to move into your neighborhood. What do you want? Do you want rehabilitation? Do you want somebody to come out of prison the way that they went in? Honestly. I mean, you know, this all spawns into my whole message of, of what I've been saying and, and, and trying to reach out to we the people and, and letting them know about this because this system, this prison industrial system is not about rehabilitation. It is not. It is not about, it's not about, uh, uh, fixing these guys and letting them back into the community. They want them to come back into the community and create chaos because there's going to be more money that's going to be generated from that chaos. So. Further victims. It's just, it's a revolving door. And these are, are, I mean, just, just what we talked about. These, these are the issues that is going on in our communities. Like you say, these people are coming home. They haven't seen their families in, in 10 years now if they want to take away visitation. So let's play this out. You got somebody that's coming home, did a 10-year bid, hasn't seen their family in 10 years. Yeah. And, and we're expected for this person to come home and adapt and get a job and get right back into society when they've been completely unplugged from society. Correct. And, and I couldn't do it. And the thing of it is, is that the statistics show that this is a failing system, even though that visitation is implemented. And now you right. want to take away visitation. Do you think that's Correct. going to make these statistics better? Correct. Correct. It's not. It's really not. Come. Okay, listen. My daughter was incarcerated for, she did nine years in Florida prison system. That almost the entire time she was incarcerated, I was a truck driver over the road. When I quit, and you know that means spending 99 point whatever percent of your time alone. When I came out back home for good, 
shortly before she was released, which she was released in September of last year. That's September 2020. Um, you know, when I came home, I had so many problems. Like, I still do. Being part of society, being around people, like, I freak out when I'm around people too much because I'm so used to having being alone completely all the time. It's a huge change. And no, it's not the same as coming out of prison. But there's a lot of similarities. And when my daughter came out of prison, she was not prepared. She was not prepared. She had, you know, she she rushed too fast. And she didn't take baby steps. Nobody, there's, there's, you know, people sometimes experience trauma while they're incarcerated. Yes. That's the whole reason that I have anything to do with prison. I'm the prison body canopy because people don't know how to keep their hands to themselves, period. So people do sometimes experience trauma while they're incarcerated, and there's no help for that trauma. There's no real, like, other than, I'm not talking about the, the, the what are those called, the T, what are those called, the TCUs, you know, for the, for mental health they have certain prisons and certain all know. this stuff all this stuff has started opening up since i've been okay. i've i've been out so you know i'm not familiar with those i've heard of these mental institutions now yeah i forget what they're called but i i've we've always just called them psych psych camps you know because yeah that's what they are they, yeah you call them the psych camps they are, there's a name and i can't remember what it's called but you know other than something like that like in a regular everyday prison there's no mental health there's no there's no counseling there's not really you know i've talked to somebody that claimed to be a doctor that i knew down well was not a doctor you know that's there's nothing like that so whatever trauma you had before you went in whatever trauma you experienced while you're there there's nothing there to help you overcome that trauma to help you you know overcome it and, and, and even though you may have committed a crime that doesn't mean you can't be a victim, you know, mm-hmm. which I, I'm kind of getting off the whole dissertation thing, I guess. But, um, well, I mean, it, it, it all revolves around that because, I mean, all of this trauma that that we're experiencing, visitation is a release because we can go get a hug from somebody that yeah. that we know loves us and cares for us because we don't get that in prison. We don't get hugs in prison. And you know what? We just sit there with our finger and rub each other's forearm. And, like, it, it helps. It's, like, calming. It's that power of touch. Because I still, I'm not around people all the time, you know. I kind of hide out because I'm still weird. And then nobody ever, you know, touches them either. So, you know, you don't have any good touch, the healing power of touch. And that's all this is, is that, that healing power of touch. And, and our... Our community and our loved ones, rather than taken away, need to actually expand upon our visitation, not taken away. You know, we but, need to have yeah. more. And, and there is. They have those incentivized prisons where they have even extra visitation days. Well, what I'm what I'm trying to get the people to, to rally behind again is is damn these, these legislators, damn these representatives. I'm, I'm not about... I mean, you know my show by now, Angie. I'm not about talking to these people about anything. I'm trying to get the people to rally behind us <clears throat> and 
open these prisons up. Like I should have full access to a prison as a community leader, as a nonprofit owner. You know what I mean? And, and a criminal justice advocate. I should be able to go in and out of that prison. I should be able to check the, the books. These are, these, these, these prisons are funded by taxpayers and there's no overseers of these prisons. You know, the, and and they're just well, running rampant. The inspector General is the overseer, but actually, that part of the Inspector General's office, I believe, gets their money from the DOC. So I don't think that that's it's really it's oversight. it's right. No, because it's all the same entity. It's all the government entity. It's all the government entity. There are none of us in the community that are allowed to monitor the prisons, but yet we're expected to take these people back into our communities. You know, and, and that is the problem. We should be able to go in there and have classes and sit with these people. We should. And, you know? and, and, and all of their, all of their FDCs and also all the statutes that cover it, uh, all of it covers FDC working with the community, with community organizations, working with community, 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 because community is the, is the nexus of public safety. It, you know, you ever heard it takes a village to raise a child, right? Well, it takes a village, period. It takes community, period. People getting together and and working together. And I'm not saying let's take care of everybody. I'm just saying, you know, if there's an issue, if you have underlying issues, let's work on that. Let's, let's take care of those underlying issues so that you can, get, again, be a whole person. And, and us in the community have to do our part as well. Yes, you know, we, we in the community, we have to start, you know, embracing these people, understanding, like you, like you mentioned earlier, the trauma that they've been through, the trauma yes. that they've went through that landed them in prison, because that doesn't get fixed in prison, you yeah. know? So it's and just, it's just an ongoing, yeah, it's just an ongoing issue. So we yeah. in the community have to do better and be better and, and help out as well. We do, because who do you want to who do you want to be in your neighbor? I mean, really honest, who do you want living next door to you? It to me, it doesn't matter who lives next door to me as long as they're peaceful of my space, they're they're respectful of my space and my property, and and I'm going to be the same with them. I would prefer a whole person rather than a broken person living next to me. You know, I want a whole person. I want whole people in my community. I want everybody to do their part and to be whole and not broken and not torn down and able to be independent, which they get no independence in there. Um, but who is that anymore? Are there whole people anymore? Uh, in this I society and, and what we're dealing with and everything going on, everybody's, I, you know, is, is broken in some sense, I think. Well, here's the deal. If whatever it is that has broken you, whatever it is that you have that, that you went through, you need to work through that because you can't carry that. I've been a victim on multiple occasions in my life and you would never guess it. I, you would never guess it to know me um, because I can't, I, I can't carry that with me. That can't stop me from being a whole person. And a whole person doesn't mean you don't have bad qualities. Whole people have good, bad, medium, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I, I just want to see that whole people are involved. I want to see community involved because it really takes all of us. And even though our society nowadays, we're all online. Look, you and I, we're having an interview over the phone, miles apart. Yeah. Now, that's really cool because technology, but guess what we're missing? We're missing a lot by doing that. We're missing 
so much by not being there, sitting next to each other or across from each other and looking in each other's eyes and having a conversation. Anytime I ever, ever deal with any of our politicians, which I do on multiple occasions, I always try to make sure it's in person, even though it'd be easier for me to do it via Zoom. I try to do it in person because I want that that one-on-one personal um, whatever that that that's missing nowadays. Yeah, and I'm think, I'm the same way. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we need to have is the the conversations with our our community members one-on-one, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, saying, "Hey, we're all part of this neighborhood. Why don't we get together?" And make something a little bit better. Well, this is this is what I'm trying to build here in the Tampa Bay area with Coming Home Coalition. You know, it's just yeah. a community outreach. It's it's you know, I'm a life coach. Uh, you know, and if you're having an issue with your neighbor, you know, and and you and your neighbor just cannot see eye to eye, and and it's getting to the point to where, you know, violence is going to to incur because each person is pushing each other's buttons because nobody wants to back down. Who who's the mediator in the community to come and, and sit down with both, you know, both neighbors and say, man, listen, what's what's going on? Like, how can we stop this? How can there's none of that? There's no talks in the community. There's no protection for for mothers or fathers who, who have CPS in their house and they don't know who to call, what to do. They're 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 completely alone in this moment and probably one of the most traumatic events in their life going on in that moment. And then when the children, then when the children are ripped out of the house, they're just left there. No neighbors come over and check on them. Nobody, you know, it's, it's just nine times out of the 10, the neighbors may have called the CPS on the people. And you know, the sad part is too, there's probably somebody right down the street that's had the same experience and had to fight and and had that experience and could be helpful, but they don't even, you know, they don't want to get involved. No, and you need to be involved. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, you can live in your own little world, like kind of what I do. But if, if, if you know, if, if you have no involvement, if you don't, basically, if you don't fight for what you want, and then don't cry if you lose it. And if you don't get involved, then when you need that helping hand, how many songs have been about when you need a friend or what happened? Yeah. You need that helping hand because you're going to need that helping hand at some point in your life. Well, these people are incarcerating our children at a, at an alarming rate, you know, and, and again, oh, yeah. like my message is, is that they're trying to get as many convictions as they can because convictions does what? It controls the vote. It controls the gun rights. You know, they're trying to just feed convictions as much as they can. And, and it's, we in the community have to be weary of that, leery of that. We have to, we have to watch that and make sure that we're doing our part. You know, and it's it's nipping things in the bud. If something is is arguing, you know, if something is aggravating, if something is is causing strife, nip it in the bud. Don't sit on it. Speak about it. Communicate about it. Do it in a humble way, respectful way. And and just we have to start looking out for one another and especially for returning citizens that are coming home. You know, because because look what they're going through now. I, I can't even. I couldn't even describe to an individual the pressure on these people sitting in there knowing that they could lose their visitation here very soon. Yeah, and you know the the sad part is the 
they, they're not within three business days. They have to post up these proposals, right? Any other rule change proposals? Every single prison, not one, has done it. Not one. And it's what's the date today? Because it came out on the sixth. So they should have all been up in every single prison on all A L L all bulletin boards in that prison um, by the twelfth of July, and none of them have. Now, multiple people inside know about it because of people out here, you know, spreading it in there, obviously. What don't make sense to me is, is the institutions know that when they take away visitation, aggravation in the prison grows. That's, that's factual, right? It becomes the, the prison becomes a more dangerous, unstable place when visitations have been, have been canceled for whatever reason. And you're talking about staff uh, shortages and you're talking about staff safety because of these shortages, but yet you're taking visitations that you know is going to elevate the aggravation of the prison, which is now put on the staff that is short. It makes no sense. Why are we not pacifying the prisoners? They do not, as uh, you know, and I know what they do is they say, oh, contraband control, contraband control, but during COVID... For how many was it? Six or eight months? They had no visitation whatsoever, yet there were still overdoses. Uh, and yada yada. Yeah. So, you know, we all know, but it's contraband control. No, it's not contraband control. It's not that. It's just control control. It's a continual pushing of the control. And for years. For years. Well, it's been... Things that happened in the DOC. And, you know, in December of 2020... The Department of Justice, after, was it three or four years, came out with a report about all the sexual mm-hmm. violence in role correctional, all the women being raped or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. All right? And FG says, says, oh, no, no, those couple of officers, they've been fired. No, that doesn't happen. It was happening while they were investigating. <laughs> During the investigation, they would move that, you know, they'd have a little group of officers, they'd move to this building. Well, the investigators are in the other building. There's continually happening. Oh, no. Well, you know, Angie, at the end of the day, we have to strike down the 13th Amendment. We have to rewrite it, and we have to fix the point, the part where, you know, it states that, you know, if you've been convicted of a crime... You're still less than men. You know, the all rules of slavery still apply to you because everything that's going on to our inmate population spawns from that. They're treated as slaves and they have the yeah. right to be treated as slaves. And it's in yeah. our constitution. That has to come down. And, I, and I'll tell you, society first put out some good information about that too, about that slavery and, and, and mass incarceration. I do, I personally believe there's multiple steps that led to mass incarceration. And I think part of it is the right person or the right people with the right amount of money for victimized. Because I'll tell you right now, my daughter that I told you about that was released in September last year, she died this year on February 1st. Ah, bless her heart. And what would I not give to have somebody to put my anger and hatred and blame upon? What would I give to them? I'd give everything for them. So I'm starting to think, and it just might be my 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 trauma brain, because I have trauma brain. It might be my trauma brain 
that thinks this, but I'm thinking, I wonder if that has something to do with this mass incarceration issue. If the right people with the right amount of money and the right amount of power just wanted vengeance, you know? I don't know. Well, for me, it's money. It's it's the, these people are clearing trillions of dollars a year from this prison industrial system, and it's untapped, it's unmarked. We don't even know where the money goes. That's probably half the money that's being sent to Ukraine. You know, who knows where this money goes and whose pockets it lines because nobody keeps tabs on it. It, it it's a continual cycle, a continual process. I think it's there's so many levels to it that I don't think there's any one one answer to that problem. I don't think there's only just one problem. There's a multitude of issues, a multitude of problems. I, that's, I mean, when I first got involved with criminal justice reform, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, 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 this. And I had to narrow it down because I wore myself down with all the many, many, many problems. But honestly, it does boil down to community and society. And um, I know people forget, you know, you're behind that wall behind that fence and nobody thinks about that nobody everybody forgets about it until it happens to you or it happens to somebody you care about you don't think about that population very much nope. not at all they don't really count to you in society um but they do because they're coming out almost uh, i mean how many was it 80 percent of them are coming out well they 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 do because they're paying taxes on this stuff and and the reason why we're paying, you know, a lot of the, you know, we're working 60 to 80 hours a week is because of the taxes that goes into this prison industrial system that is titled under so many different taxes. But it all goes into... That, we don't see that. Like, it's not broke down nope. on our taxes. Nope. And, 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 and if they were to... Be. I'm telling you, and if people were to see how much taxes they're paying that, that goes yeah. into this prison system, that is yeah. when they're going to say, oh... Wait a minute now. Correct. But it's, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind, and you don't know. You don't see it. When you get your paycheck and you see taxes taken out, it doesn't break it down like this is going here, this is going there. So it's still out of, out of sight, out of mind. Don't have to think about it. Well, you do because, A, you're paying for it. B, people are coming to your neighborhood. Who do you want living next door to you? Who do you want in your neighborhood? Everybody's like, you do the crime, you do the time, but they don't think about um, after that time is done, you know? And nine of those people that that say that commit crimes themselves. Oh, everybody does. Everybody commits crimes. Of course they do, because the system's designed that way. Yeah, I mean, just about everybody. It's it's hard not to, um, whether they're just like little measly meager or whatever, and so who am I to judge? I, I personally, I'm not going to judge anybody for the crime that they commit. Even when I want to, I try not to. Um, just because I'm not, I'm not God, right? I mean, who am I to judge someone else? I don't like anybody being victimized. So, you know, I don't, I don't like anybody. Being but, but again, I don't want somebody victimized just because you're behind the wall. That doesn't make it okay. And we have a lot of that, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with that right now in this moment, you know, people victimizing, you know, and, and taking advantage of, of desperate families for money in the name of criminal justice, you know, advocacy and relief and oh, stuff like that. So that's like, I want to hear a little something, something juicy juice. <laughs> well, you have to go back and catch my, you have to go back and catch my last episode. Where is Trisha Joe? 
and that that'll explain uh, oh, yeah. what's what's kind of been going on. But well, I, I mean, so I, I guess here it is again in the face of of we the people. You know, a, a big a big screw you. We're gonna do what we want. You know, and there's nothing that you can do about it because visitation is a privilege. What are you gonna do? You know, we're gonna fight it in the court of law. Is what we're gonna do. Well, and that that's why we the people have to stand up. Like you said, if we have to go to Tallahassee, we we go to Tallahassee. We're I mean, we have to go to Tallahassee. We have to show up. I, you know, uh, there's a group of us that have gotten very involved in rule changes. And uh, every time they try to, to change a rule, we've gotten very involved. And um, they're used to it now. So the arguments from the previous time in 2018, they're not going to work. I've told everybody, I'm like, listen, that's not going to work. It's not good enough. So, so we need to go a step farther. And some of us went a step or five farther than that. <laughs> but... um. We need to show up. We all need to kind of be together. And and as you brought up the advocacy, that there's many advocacy groups out there. There's many issues or what have you. And um, they all have agreed to put down the swords and weapons and not enter fight and come together for this issue as they need to be. So I'm, that's, that's, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it in any way that I can I can be part of it and, and – uh, Usually, usually important. It's just uh, showing support. And, um, uh, well, hopefully, if we get this in the uh, in the courts, maybe we can stop them from doing this again in another couple of years. You know? Yeah. So, that, that's my goal. That's my personal Okay, well, Angie, well, thank you for this, this discussion. It's a very important discussion. Again, we the people, it, it's, it falls in line with the same, the same conversation. We have to stick together. We have to rally behind one another. Our voice is strong and loud when it's as one, you know, so it's, we have to come together. We have to do it and, and just get it done and take our country back in so many different aspects. Thank you for this discussion. I'm always here for Society First in any way that I can be. Um, I've been speaking with Angie Hatfield. She is a member of Society First. And she's a great person. I mean, I've had a, li- a couple little dealings with you. We're going to have to meet at some point. <laughs> well, hey, this Saturday, actually. Oh, I almost forgot. Saturday in Orlando, Lake Eola Park, E-O-L-A. I don't know where that's at. 11 to 3, um, a bunch of folks are getting together. It was originally over the heat and prison and AC and then whatever, but now it's uh, about the visitation issue. And I, I guess it's a, like a, I don't know, is it like a protest? I guess. Or no, I didn't put together. A gathering. Oh, a gathering. you know what I need from you, Angie? Yeah. I need Narcan. Do you? I I did, and and you know I ran by what Coming Home Coalition's getting ready to do. We're getting ready to put together a, a fundraiser here and and create care packages. So we're just going to put together deodorant, toothpaste, toothbrushes, things of that nature, shower shoes. We're asking for all these donations. Um, I'll put the link in the 
descriptions where those donations can come but uh, yeah absolutely narcan as well i would love to put a uh, you know a narcan in each one of those bags so they do need it. so uh, when yeah, we, we I... pass them out to the homeless we're going to have a day in the park where we just pass these care packages out to the homeless and i definitely want the narcan in there as well well i'm i'm not personally registered with the the department of children and family services for that that program, but I do know a lot of people. Actually, somebody asked me to join this coalition, um, but I do know a lot of people in in the midst of that, so I could probably hook you up. There you go. I appreciate that. We need all the help we can get right now. Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, Ms. Angie, fentanyl, to, huh? Fentanyl test strips are no longer illegal drug paraphernalia. You can add that to it too. Whatever, yeah. I mean, just whatever, whatever a person thinks that a homeless person could use, you know, just day to day laundry soap, you know, little bags of laundry soap that we can put in these bags so they can at least wash their clothes, wash their things. However, they, they get stuff washed. They'll have some laundry soap, you know, just little things like that. We got the holidays coming up. It's going to get cold this year, you know, so just keep these things in mind. And you said this is for the homeless or for returning citizens? This is for the homeless. We're going to do this here for the homeless here in the Tampa Bay area. Um, Coming Home Coalition is more of the 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 outreach, community outreach for everybody, for anybody and everybody. Um, But the advocacy part, which which I'm kind of running now, is is more for the returning citizen. I'm a I'm a you know, I'm a certified life coach. So I offer mentorship for returning citizens. Um, I also offer mentorship for the families as well. So, you know, just to help reestablish some that that familial bond with them coming home, I can explain to the family, you know, what this particular inmate may have went through and some of some of his stressors and, and red flags and vice versa so that people understand each other a little bit more. Awesome sauce. So it's it's marriage counseling, it's relationship counseling, it's it's all of that. You know, we just we do whatever that we can do to try to help the returning citizen yeah. and our community. Yeah. Just an outreach. You know, you can you can call us and talk. If you're stressing out, call give us a call. Talk to us, you know, what's going on? Oh, oh, you know, I I'll have to get you that info. One of the gals gave me this stuff. There's a there's a number you can call if you're using where if you're alone and using, you can sit and they'll sit on the phone with you in case, and they'll call 911 if you really? no longer respond. These are the things that we need, you know? Yeah. And it makes me happy to hear other citizens stepping up, providing things that they see a shortage of. You know, that is what we have to do. The we government don't. isn't going to do it. No, we have to. And I think the government is kind of open to it, but I think they just, you have to just get right up in it, you know? That's, that's mostly what I do is I go after the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, you take care of yourself, Ms. Angie, and stay safe, okay? Okay, thanks. You too. Absolutely. I'll catch you on the flip side. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.